Psalm 131. Very short psalm. Three verses. But there's a lot in this psalm. Let's go back, though, and just catch up a little bit. We are in the middle of a series. Actually, we're past middle. Uh, But we're in a series looking at the Psalms of Ascent in the book of Psalms. And they incorporate Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, those 15 psalms. You will see them at the heading of your Bible. And these are a special section of psalms because these were songs that were sung by the pilgrim travelers who would leave their homes all over the nation of Israel and would travel to Jerusalem, to the temple, three times a year. They were to travel there for Passover, They were to travel there for Pentecost, and they were to travel there for the Feast of Tabernacles. And so Jerusalem, which normally would be a population of about 150,000 people, would literally balloon to over a million people three times a year during these feasts or festivals. But they wouldn't wait until they got there to start worshiping the Lord. As is a great example to us, they started to worship the Lord on their way to the temple. They started to prepare their hearts so that once they got there, their worship of God would simply be an overflow of their lifestyle of worship that was going on as they were traveling for days and maybe even weeks to get there. And again, that's an important reminder to us that when we come on Wednesday night or when we come together on Sunday or any other time and we come together corporately as the body of Christ to worship God, our worship should just be an overflow of our individual personal worship of God that is supposed to be taking place throughout the week week. Because worship is something that you can't flip a switch. It's not like I don't worship God all week and now I'm going to come on Sunday and I'm going to get really engaged in worship. That just doesn't work. Okay. So that's one of the things that the Psalms and especially the Psalms of Ascent teach us and remind us of. Now the other thing is this. You'll notice that this is one of four of the Psalms of Ascent that David wrote. It says there, a psalm of ascent. David is the author of this. Most of them are anonymous. David wrote four. Solomon wrote one. David's name means beloved of God. And this psalm tonight is all about growing in our worship of God. And how do we grow in our worship? How do we live maturely? Well, It's all about contentment. And we're going to talk about that. David is going to tell us about the enemy's contentment in verse 1. And then in verse 2 and 3, he's going to tell us about the evidences of contentment. Now, this psalm has something in common with the preceding psalm, Psalm 130. You'll notice a line there in verse 3. O Israel, hope in the Lord. And you'll notice that same phrase or line repeated up in verse 7 of Psalm 130. O Israel, hope in the Lord. Of course, we just sung about hope in the Lord. And back last week, we saw that one of the reasons why you and I can have such great hope in our life is notice in verse 7 of Psalm 130 because of the Lord's loyal love. 
His loving kindness, His immovable favor that God always loves us no matter what. And you remember from last week, we were talking about the fact that this psalmist, whoever it was, was writing out of the depths because they were so uh, aware of their sin. And one of the things we said last week is that you and I have to learn to live with that kind of tension. Because the closer you and I get to a holy God, the more aware we will be of our own sinfulness. Again, look at Isaiah, who had a great engagement and an experience with God in the book of Isaiah, and yet he said, oh, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And he was so aware. Anytime you saw a person getting closer to God, they were also more aware of their sin. And, and the reason you and I have to live with that tension is the only other choice we have is even as a follower of God is if I get closer to God and then I start becoming more aware of my sin is to back away and go, well, I, I don't like what I see, so I'm, I'm not going to get close to God anymore. I'm not going to worship. I'm not going to read his word. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to get engaged in a local church. I'm not going to come and all that because that just makes me more aware of, you know, how, of how far, far short I fall and of my failure and all that. And what you and I as Christians, if we're going to grow in our worship of God, we've got to learn that that's actually a, an evidence of our growth. Is that the closer I get to God, the more aware I am of my sin, but I understand some things at that time too. I understand that God still loves me because He loves me unconditionally. And then we saw last week, another reason we can have hope is down in verse 4. Notice it says in 130, verse 4, I know I'm doing 130 here for a minute, that you are willing to forgive abundant pardon, abundant forgiveness, and then he says, over in verse 7 again, you're also more than willing to deliver us, to redeem us, to rescue us, and to set us free from our sin. So last week we saw where no wonder the psalmist says, oh Israel, hope in the Lord because of his loving kindness, because of his willingness to forgive, and because of his willingness to deliver. And I want to carry those themes into tonight as well, because David now repeats that same phrase, oh Israel, hope in the Lord. Something else. You'll notice throughout these Psalms of Ascent, especially this pattern. It starts out with an individual dealing with something with God. But then by the end, they're inviting the whole group to join them in praise and worship. And that's the way it should be. In fact, that, that's sort of what Nicole has to do all the time. That's what any worship leader has to do. They, they experience their own personal worship with God and then they come and say, okay, let's all worship God. But see, we're all to do that in our life. We are all to be such worshipers of God, growing and learning about our God and, and being in awe of Him and, and living in wonder of who He is with His loving kindness and forgiveness and all of that, that we invite other people around us to worship our God too. To be a part of that. So it doesn't just stay with us. It's never to be an individual, personal thing that just stays there. It's like, come on, let's, let's get more people involved and let's all worship the Lord, if you will. So, with that, and that's just the introduction, let's get to the 
psalm itself. And I'm just going to read these three verses since it's only... And by the way, this is one of the shortest psalms. Uh, We'll come across a couple more uh, as we end our series in the Psalms of Ascent. Psalm 133 is also only three verses, and then Psalm 134 is also only three verses. So this psalm is about growing in our worship, living maturely. And notice what the psalmist writes. O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor do I have a haughty look. I do not have great aspirations or concern myself with things that are beyond me. Indeed, I am composed and quiet like a young child carried by its mother. I am content like the young child I carry. O Israel, hope in the Lord now and forever. This psalm is about submission to the Lord's providence. About learning to rest in Him. It's a psalm about contentment, you see. And contentment is a subject that's easier to talk about than it actually is to live out a lot of times. I mean, even Paul said, I have learned to be content. It's a process that you and I have to go through. And David went through that process in his own life. I mean, let's just stop for a moment and think about David's life. Now, obviously, we know a lot of the failures of David. And we're going to get to that in just a moment because it may seem like in verse 1 that he's proud by even what he's saying, but we'll talk about that in just a moment. But when it comes to David submitting himself to the to the timing and providence of God in his life, he really did exhibit that in one area of his life above all others. And that was in God making him king or bringing him to the point where he finally was the king. Because let's remember, recall the story of David. He was secretly anointed by Samuel the prophet at a very, very young age. And yet, he did not immediately ascend to to be king of Israel. No. He went through years, years of being, you know, distrusted and and rejected by those around him, including his own family. You're you're not going to be the king of Israel. In fact, David even thought many times, you can read it where he says, God, I know you promised and you anointed me to be king, but he says, I don't see any human way that this is going to happen. There is no human path to this. And it was almost like he was saying, God, you've got to do just something very unusual for me to end up being the king, even though you sent Samuel, your prophet, to anoint me when I was a young man. And then, you remember, he was under Saul, the king, and all that he had to endure with Saul, that he even had the chance to take out Saul, and he didn't, and he even felt bad about cutting his robe off a little bit, and how they, or Saul would throw spears at him, and, and how God protected him, and he went through all of that. And it was just like, he's like, okay, God, I'm just going to keep trusting in you and in your timing. And I'm, 
even though it's hard for me at times not to give up hope, if this is your plan, then I'm just going to keep clinging to it. And it was through this process that God took David through that I think he really even learned more and more how to be content in his life. And in some ways, David's life, as far as going from a very young man of being anointed king and knowing that God, that this is God's sort of dream for him, is very similar to Joseph. Because Joseph knew at a very young age through a dream that God had something special for him. But it was years until it was realized. And I think what God shows us in times like David and Joseph and with other Bible characters is many times God will impress something on us, but it may be years down the road before it's actually realized. That's the way I feel about this building. <laughs> okay? And God kept reminding me through this process, Jeff, it's going to happen in my perfect timing. And when it does, you and your people need to be prepared because there's going to be a spiritual explosion take place. And God is getting us and our church ready for this through what He's doing. And I'm excited and scared to death all at the same time. But I hope this will encourage many of you. Because some of you may be waiting for something to happen, something to change in your life. And like David had to, and like Joseph had to, and so many others, it's like, okay, God, I'm just going to trust in your providence and in the timing of all of this. I'm just going to learn to wait on you. I'm going to keep putting my hope in you, because God, you love me. You love me. And so everything that you're doing is never outside of your expression of love for me. And you forgive me. And you deliver me. And you're doing all these things, so you really are a God who is for us. So if God is that much for us, then who can be or what can be against us? So when David, though, writes... In verse 1, O oh Lord, my heart is not proud, nor do I have a haughty look. I do not have great aspirations or concern myself with things that are beyond me. He's absolutely being honest at this point, And I believe truthful at this point in his life. Now that doesn't mean that David didn't have times where he didn't exhibit pride and overreaching ambition and presumption in his life. He certainly did, but at this point he did not. And here's the reason we know that. Because notice who he's addressing here. He's addressing the Lord. He's talking to God and he knows. I can fool you. I can't fool God. God knows. I can't express something to God and God go, yeah, right. I know better. So when David is saying, God, you know right now that right now I'm not filled with pride. I'm not, you know, filled with overreaching ambition. I'm not filled with presumption. He knows it to be true because God would call him out on it if it, if it wasn't. And it's a reminder to us how, you know, transparent we should always be with God because God knows. He knows where we're at and what our heart and all that's going on. But the reason why David is expressing these things to us is because he's saying, I wasn't always like this. There were times in my life where, again, I, I was pr proud. 
I did overreach with my ambition. I, I did presume. And those were enemies of my contentment. And the reason why David can express these things is because he struggled with them. And that's how he knew by his own experience that these were enemies of contentment. Because they literally undermined and robbed him of this contentment that God so wants us to live with and have at all times. I want to talk about each of these for a moment because it's very important as a follower of God that we learn not only what are the things that we need to keep you know, doing that, getting us and making progress in our life. But what are the things that continually trip us up so that we can be aware of them? So notice again, the first one is pride. Oh Lord, my heart is not proud, nor do I have a haughty look. Why is pride an enemy of contentment? Because pride says to God, God, I got a better way. I'm smarter than you, God. I'm wiser. So I'm taking matters into my own hands and I'm, I'm doing this. Uh, That's pride. And pride also takes on more upon us than what we should take on. Because pride says, well, I've got to do that, and I've got to do that, and I've got to do that. It's actually a form of pride. Because we're only one human being, and we can only do so much well. And when we start taking on too much, then we can't do anything excellently or well. And that's actually a form of pride. Like, I, I got to do all this. No. That's why God said, I have a part for you to play in the body of Christ. But you're not, you know, if you're the hand, you're not supposed to do the foot and the leg and the arm and the elbow and all that. You just be a good hand. And so often we're not, you know, again, satisfied with being the hand. We got to try to be everything. Think of an orchestra or a band. God has given each of us an instrument to play in his band or orchestra. And all he wants us to do is concentrate on that instrument. And then as he brings all these other beautiful instruments together, we can all blend and and, and harmonize together into a beautiful thing. But if we're all trying to play each other's instruments, it doesn't work. And that's a manifestation of pride taking on too much, and thinking we know better than God. Pride will always rob us of contentment. Because we're taking on more than we should be, and we aren't going to be content and at rest in that way. Then, overreaching ambition. Now, God is not against us being ambitious. But there is a point where we cross a line and we go to overreaching ambition. And so notice what David says. I also do not have great aspirations. Overreaching ambition is when you and I don't like what God has planned for us. What part he wants us to play. And we're trying to, again, play something else. That we're not satisfied with the calling or position or role that God has for us. We, we want to do something else. Or we're not satisfied with the timing of something and so we sort of try to take matters into our own hands and overreach and try to make something happen and force something to happen instead of letting God bring it about in His timing. That's overreaching. Not being content or satisfied with what we have but always looking for something more. 
And one of the things you and I have to learn is that we've got to learn to recognize and realize what we have in our relationships, especially with God. It starts with God so that we don't look past God or beyond God and go, God, I've got everything I need in you, but also with one another. And with the stuff that God has allowed us to have so that we're never content with what we have, but we're always wanting more. And then the third one is presumption. He says, or concern myself with things that are beyond me. You know what robs us and what's an enemy of contentment? Presumption. What is presumption? It is being preoccupied with things that I cannot change or cannot comprehend. God says, Jeff, why are you thinking so much about things that you can't change? You're putting a lot of emotional BTUs into something that you have no control over and that you can't change. That will rob us of our contentment. And then the second layer of that is things that I can't comprehend. Because God will always move and do things that you and I can't understand and can't comprehend. And so David is saying, God, I've just learned if I don't understand it or I can't wrap my brain around it, I'll just accept it and move on. And maybe at some point you'll bring understanding to that. But I also know that you're God and that there will always be things that you do that I can't understand. I I cannot comprehend why you allowed this and why you did this. I just have to be okay with that. That's part of being a follower of God. Can I follow a God I won't always understand because He's God and I'm not. And He's got an insight and a wisdom and a grasp of things that I'll never have as a human being. All I can see is a very, very small slice of the pie. He sees it all. So David is saying, Don't, as a human being, get preoccupied with things you cannot change and things you cannot comprehend. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Secret things belong to the Lord, and those He has revealed to us belong to us and to our children and grandchildren forever. There are some things that God just will not choose to reveal. And we've got to be okay with that. That's part of learning to be content, but... Presumption is certainly an enemy of contentment. So David here has identified enemies of contentment. But he also identifies in his own life how he has grown to show evidence of contentment. Notice what he says in verse 2. Indeed, I am composed and quiet. Very interesting Hebrew words here. It means to avail oneself of the proper resources in order to stop striving and rest in God. Let me repeat that. This phrase speaks about availing myself of the proper resources that God gives me in order to get to a place where I stop striving and learn to just rest in God. Doesn't that remind you of Psalm 46.10 where God says through the psalmist, stop your striving and recognize that I'm God or other translations, be still and know that I'm God. 
Because that's exactly what the word quiet here means in verse 2. It means to be still and silent. You want to know when you and I are content? It's when we're not all... And we're, you know, constantly talking and jabbering. Because that means that that means we've, we've, we've got to get it out and, 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 and we've got to, you know, because we're, we're, our, our spirit inside and it's all unrest. And God says when, you're, when your spirit and soul is at rest, you'll be able to be still and quiet and there won't be all this stuff because you've learned to just rest in God. Now again, This is growth, folks. This is a process. None of us have totally arrived. And we, again, know David certainly was not there all the time. But what he's trying to do through this psalm and through these people singing this psalm on their way to Jerusalem is to prepare themselves that that they should know that they can rest in the Lord. Over and over again, you see that phrase in the Psalms. Rest in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. And it all comes down to our composure and quietness. If we're angry and raging and upset and all of that... It's exhibiting not a quiet, still spirit that is content and resting in the Lord. And then I love this. Notice David gives a picture here. Like a young child carried by its mother. One who has grown to understand that they will be fed and cared for. You see, when, they're, when a child is really young, The main reason why they scream and cry is because they haven't learned even to trust their own mom or dad to take care of them and feed them. That's why it's like, I'm hungry and you don't know it and I need to scream and cry so that I can get your attention because you're not taking care of me. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it is. So part of growing to maturity is when I can be a little hungry, but I know, oh, mom's there, dad... They'll feed me. They'll, they'll take care of me. Everything's going to be okay. In fact, part of the, the description here that David is using is language of even a weaned child. One who is not, you know, laying at their mother's breast anymore, but yet understands, oh, but I'm, I'm going to be fed. I'm, I'm going to be taken care I'm, I'm okay. Everything's going to be okay. And isn't it interesting that it sort of like twists us around that that the example that David sets before us of growing in maturity is actually a child. And in a sense, becoming childlike in our trust to go, oh, you know, w- once children get to a certain age, you know, they don't, they don't writhe and wrangle over every day like, uh, is mom and dad going to take care of me? Am I going to get fed today? They, they don't even think about that. That's not even on their radar. Now, obviously, certain situations... We know children go hungry. I'm talking about in in a normal situation with a child in the care of parents who, you know, should have a normal kind of parental love for their children. A child grows up with that security that I don't have to worry about being fed or going hungry because 
Mom and dad's going to take care of me. And so what David is saying is, oh, that we as God's children would grow up to the point where we're not worried and anxious and lack our contentment that somehow God isn't going to nourish us and feed us and take care of us. And isn't this the same thing that Jesus said in the Gospels when he kept telling people, uh, my father created everything and he takes care of everything in creation and if he feeds the animals and makes sure that they've got food and stuff, don't you think you're of more value than them and that he won't take care of you? That's what David's saying. That all of us need to grow to that point where we're, we're not worried about somehow not being taken care of. That we truly can rest in the Lord like a young child carried by its mother. Everything's going to be okay. And where the child isn't like fighting its mom, but literally resting in the arms of their mother. And then I love this. David goes on to say, and I am content. I'm content in a way like I never was before, like the young child I carry. And I believe that this could even be in reference to his own grandchild that David was carrying, saying, man, it doesn't get any better than this. And I certainly will look after and take care of this one. I'm not going to let anything happen to this one. And if I, a fallen, finite, fragile human being, will look after my child or grandchild in that way and know that they don't have to worry about being fed or cared for, how much more can you and I look to the Creator, Sustainer, Savior, and Lord of our life and think, you know what? It's okay. I can rest in Him. Remember, He loves me with a loyal love. He has forgiven me of all of my sin. He is willing to deliver me. And He has paid the price to redeem me and set me free. And so that's why David ends this psalm with these words. Oh, Israel! Listen to me, Israel. Listen to me, other believers. Join me in the worship of our God. He is worthy and deserves our worship because He loves us and He nourishes us and He cares for us. And we can absolutely rest and be totally content in Him. So he says, hope in the Lord now and forevermore. Now the word hope, and we'll end with this, not only means to be patient and wait for, and we know that that's what we have to do sometimes. He'll he'll be there. He'll take care of things for us. But it might not be in our timing, but I love this second definition of the word hope. It literally means to sink into and be settled. Now, without demeaning God in any way and disrespecting Him in any way, the picture that David is giving us is is like this chair 
or very comfortable couch that you and I literally can like just like sink into and settle down and just relax. And, and you can literally, when, when you get to that place, you know what I'm talking about because you've been there a couple times yourself, where all your muscles start to relax. And maybe even after a hard day, you just sort of lay your head back and you just let all your weight just sink into that chair or that couch and just try to just let that couch just sort of enfold you. And you just sort of sink into it and you just get so comfortable. David is saying, that's the picture of where we need to get to with our God. That our God is, is willing to just scoop us up and wrap us up and just put His loving arms around us and just let us literally sink into Him and settle into Him and be content. And instead of, you know, instead of you know, being so anxious and, and writhing and railing and, and fighting and all of that, that we would just, just relax and go to sleep in the arms of our God. And know that everything's going to be okay. You know, just like, you know, a parent tells a crying child or grandchild, you know, it's, it's going to be okay. Just, you, know, you need sleep. Go to, go to sleep. And finally, after they fight it so long, they finally let go. And, and God is saying the same thing to you and I as followers of Him. Get rid of the pride. Get rid of the overreaching ambition. Get rid of the presumption and just sink in and settle into me and trust. Be content. And know that I will always, always take care of you. What a great psalm to be reminded of. And what a great psalm for us as a church to have heard on the day where we got this kind of news. God is always faithful. It may not happen in our time, but God will always take care of His children. Let's pray. Lord, tonight as we come to You, I know that there are many here tonight that may have a lot on their minds in their life, in their hearts, it's going on. A lot of things that can cause us a lack of contentment and a lot of things that can bring anxiety and worry and trouble to our life and tension. And God, I pray tonight that, that we've been reminded that Lord, we can just crawl into Your arms, God. Crawl up into Your lap. Let You put Your loving arms around us and just sink in and settle into You knowing that everything's going to be okay and that You, our Heavenly Father, are going to take really, really, really good care of us. That You will never leave us nor forsake us. That You are always there to protect and provide for us. And that, God, we can be totally content in You. God, help us to learn what David learned. Help us to 
glean from his own personal example of his own life, of how so often in his life, his life was filled with discontentment and pain because he truly did not rest in you. So God, I pray tonight that all of us tonight, even as we go to sleep tonight, would have some sweet sleep knowing that we are resting in the arms of the Almighty God who loves us and cares for us more than we could ever imagine. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget about the church picnic on Saturday out of top of the world, and then we'll see you Sunday.